welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. It's weird to watch one of the most thrilling hockey games ever on a Monday morning, but the monumental victory and comeback was completed. Great Britain, after not winning a game, the whole tournament pulls out the overtime victory against France and will be returning to the World Championships next year and avoids relegation. Is this the World Championships of hockey or Quidditch? Great Britain versus France being the game that you watched. It was a whole lot of red, white, and blue without a lot of America. It was a little weird. So, that this tournament's always, you know... People have their feelings about it because it's either something that they care about because they can take it lighthearted and, and enjoy it for what it is or not care at all because they think it's not, you know, the best of the best tournament. Both sides are whatever. But I personally do love these stories the most. The Italy's, the Great Britain's, the France's, the what have you's of, of the hockey world fighting for those basically like two to three we're going to beat the hell out of you slots in every like group a tournament there is. Yeah. Like, cause what was it? Uh, two years ago, great Britain was playing in the, th- the third tier of world championships, I believe. And people are saying, well, yeah, they beat France. Who cares? France hasn't been relegated since 2004 and great Britain hasn't made the world championships since 1994 and great britain hasn't made the world championships without immediately being relegated again since the 50s this is a big deal well france also is the world the, the reigning world cup fifa world cup champion so that has to count for something yeah right? sport doesn't matter we have a lot of british listeners so congrats, i know they were, guys. All t- they were all tweeting at me today when i tweeted about the game and i'm so happy for you guys yeah so i'm i'm, I'm pumped for you i you know i just cheer for a good game with these tournaments i whether it's Canada, U.S., Great Britain, or whatever, as long as it's a good story. So, yeah, I'm happy for you guys. Brad, I do have one thing. I'm a little bit uh, I'm upset with you. Genuinely upset. Like, I'm not even lying. I've been in your house for the past 25-ish minutes, mm-hmm. and you have not once asked me about how I got the scar on my forehead. Did not notice the scar until you pointed at it. Ugh, God. Oh, was that a was that an adult lunchable mishap? I want you to take your best honest guess as to how. So you were a couple inches on the top right side of my forehead. Okay, so this what you were camping this weekend. Yeah. So it's going to be outdoorsy related. Uh huh. Yeah. It's you, super badass. You don't strike me as a guy who would be the one that would be building the fire or any of that stuff. So I built the fire. Okay, your friend. I need to have a talk with your friends. <laughs> Make a good fire. Yeah, but no, that scar's not big enough to be fire-related anyway. No. I'm going to say you tripped and fell getting into a canoe or something like that and smacked your head off the side of whatever it was. No, but that's not bad. That could have happened. <laughs> we had a 90-pound dog the whole time, and she did her best to tip us at points. No, this one was... Um, you need rope and line of, of various types when you're interior camping, either to hang your food bags, like your bear bags at night, or... Uh, tarp stuff out in case you're going to get rain, which we got all weekend. S- aside, bear bags are stupid. I'd rather the bear bags fill up all my food rather than make me the food. But anyways, I digress. What do you mean? It's a dumb joke. Right? Oh. <laughs> Eat my food, don't make me food. Oh, shut up. <laughs> anyways, uh, and so the line that was used for the tarp was blue, which surprisingly blends in 
really well with with nature. I don't know what it is, but pretty much every guy in the camp. This didn't really happen to the girls, but every guy in the camp hit it a couple times, and like it was at walking pace, so it's whatever. And it's like off, oh, like walking into a spider web, but kind of hurt more. And then uh, a storm came through, like very fast, all of a sudden. So we were rushing to like move our stuff under the tarp, take down all the camp, do everything that we needed to do, and I ran <laughs> full speed and clothesline myself <laughs> with this line. So it's it's rope burn, is what I. You have rope burn on your forehead. I have rope burn on my forehead. I'd have lied and went with the canoe one, Ryan. I really should have, but if I owe this podcast and our listeners anything <laughs> for a story they never asked for, it's honesty. So that's, uh, I, I looked at, or I felt it and I asked my friends, I was like, is there anything there? They're like, no, not a mark. And I woke up in the morning and Mel looked at me. She went, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) the slow onset ones are the best. Yeah. 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 I didn't even realize it, but in last week's ball hockey game, a guy fell through on a shot and his stick caught me below the knee, whatever. No big deal. It was bleeding a little bit, but just a little Nick. Yeah. Nothing. Have not thought about it for five days. I don't exactly often examine my shins. So I don't really know what's going on down there. Um, and then I was at the gym today, and I was just doing some kneeling landmine press. And as soon as I kneeled down, I like jumped right back up because I just got this like jolt of pain. I looked down, and I've got a bruise where that nick was about the size of my fist. And you didn't see it for like five days? Did not see it. I don't think it settled in. you wash in your legs like, in the shower? Yeah. Huh. Like I don't think it really set in until a day or two ago. It was weird. weird. It caught me right off guard. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Um, Evan was called away on a secret mission. That's almost not a joke. Yeah, actually. Uh, a secret mission by his work uh, just prior. So uh, I guess it's a Monday, but it's a holiday. So Yeah, it's a holiday Monday. Yeah, we appreciate you guys uh, bearing with us on this uh, long weekend. Uh, we're back. So this is our Sunday episode. Oh, I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad. I know people always ask for that. I hope you can tell. If you can't, if you ever can't tell our voices apart, just let us know. Although I do think sometimes we get mixed up. I know sometimes when Max will be talking to us, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, like Ryan, you made a you're you're talking about this point the other day." I was like, "No, I wasn't." Oh wait, that was Brad. <laughs> um, yeah. So on today's podcast, the uh, we started out with what's happening, been happening in the world hockey. We're going to be bringing it back to uh, how that affects the Red Wings. The obvious story being Anthony Mantha, uh, the NHL playoffs. We're going to continue our. Um, NHL draft player preview. So we have Kirby Doc on deck today, or Doc on the docket. Doc, Doc. There's a title. This might be the title of the episode. So Doc on the docket. Doc on deck. Doc on deck. That's a good one. Doc on deck. And that. Well, you were just camping, so there's got to be like a Doc on Doc here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's there's opportunity there. We didn't have a Doc though. We were like interior. We were a couple portages in. Ryan. Yeah. This wasn't meant to be literal. And we have uh, Tyler Bertuzzi for our Red Wings player profile. Lil Tuzzi Bert. Bert uh, there's been some uh, really funny nicknames coming out for Bertuzzi. Marissa tweeted at us. Um, I can't remember what her nickname was, but I remember laughing at it. Anyways, if you guys ever, if you ever imply that I don't love you, I walked around the camp until I found one bar of LTE and posted all the threads and pre-show stuff for this podcast. I was ready to do it, and then Ryan texted me, yeah, I got some signal you don't need to. I'm like, fantastic, because <laughs> it was going to go up at one in the morning. <laughs> all right, the uh, World Championships. Anthony Mantha. Manthony Antha. Manthony, uh, the Manthamal. Mantha Claus. Man- Whoa, have we done that one before? I don't know. <laughs> uh, has been absolutely tearing it up. It seems like this kind of thing happens every year where a Red Wing has it. Well, not even just Mantha. Mantha and Hronik are both having phenomenal tournaments. Um, 
it it seems like every year in the offseason there's some kind of story for a Red Wings player who's sur- like poised to surge in the upcoming season and absolutely dominates or has a fantastic camp or a great preseason or a great offseason tournament. And this is just like the best kind of deja vu for Red Wings fans. So Mantha has been – is he still the tournament leading scorer? For goals, yes. Yeah. So For he, total points, no. He uh, – no, because that's William Nylander. I don't know. Yeah, that's making Lee fans feel some kind of way. Yeah, Anthony Mantha has uh, seven goals in six games, has been – Including a absolutely unreal highlight, like highlight real goal between his legs on the rush or like on a tweener in yeah. traffic with in the defenseman traffic. Oliver after he just forced the turnover. And so you, when you think of Anthony Mantha, you're like, oh, this is a guy who's just has a phenomenal shot. So you give it to him in space and he'll find that spot in the net. He'll rip it home, which is how he scored a lot of this tournament. And then he did that. And you're like, oh, he's also got that. I'm ha- I'm really happy when when that when he displays that where he has the opportunity to display that because. That's the kind of stuff that really, really, really drives home your point from the last episode because we conveniently just did our uh, Red Wings player profile on him, right? That was that, that was good timing. Yeah. yeah, he was last episode. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't dreaming. Um, and you were saying you believe him to be the most skilled player on the Red Wings outside of Larkin, I think you said, or overall. No, over Larkin. Yeah. If we're talking raw tools, yeah, over top of Larkin. I again, until. Larkin's hockey or hockey IQ is much higher than Mantha's, which makes a hell of a difference. But still, I'm not saying I completely agree with that. But it's not like your assessment's way off. Like Anthony Mantha's raw, like we say raw skill or raw ability a lot, and this is what it means: like absolutely phenomenal amount of talent, and all it takes is some refinement. I don't even think it takes refinement. It's two things. So the more I've really kind of paid attention and thought back to when Mantha has his cold streaks to when he has his hot streaks, what he's what's different in his game. There's two things that consistently jump out at me. A is the obvious. When he's playing with guys who can get him the puck, he knows what to do with it. When So he's playing with Jared McCann and Kyle Turris, who aren't the top-end players Dylan Larkin are, but they're certainly better than anybody else the Red Wings have playing center at this point, not counting Athanasiu because he's a winger. And Mantha's getting space, he's getting time, he's making stuff happen with it. And the other big one for him is confidence. He plays so passive when his confidence is, at least I assume it's his confidence that is driving that. And when his confidence gets high, he tries stuff like going to the net, taking shots from angles, you know, just blasting one time or somewhere. Pulling the puck between his legs in traffic and going far side top corner. When he plays with confidence, he's a different player. And it's noticeable. He might be the more extreme Johan Franzen. We always use that as his comparison. Yeah. Again, raw tools, I think Mantha's got more there than Franzen ever did. But Mantha also seems to be a lot streakier. Mm -hmm. And not in terms of Johan's heaters were legendary, but he didn't have as big a gaps as Mantha has. Because Mantha had like one, what, 20 game stretch this year where he did basically nothing. So it's it's good to see that he had a consistent stretch to end the season, and it went right into this tournament. Mantha's, um, you know, I'm glad you brought up that comparison actually because it's, I think it's still apt. Franzen has definitely done more and has more of a pedigree. Like Franzen's ability to score 
despite you know an outside viewer saying, "Oh, well, he's not that great. I don't see how he's scoring so much. This must be like a hot streak." But there's a stretch of like 150 games where he just wouldn't stop scoring. Like that was almost unparalleled across the league. But if you're talking raw talent, raw ability, like the best versions of these players, by all rights, Mantha should be able to do more if he can put it all together. Yeah, who was it? Um, Ray Ferraro on the um, before the game today was talking the pregame show. He's like, I think Anthony Mantha is going to be going to score thirty this year, and I think he's going to do it perennially. perennially. Well, so, I I would certainly hope so. Yeah. Well, he scored at a thirty goal pace this year, and still, exactly to the number. <laughs> still, by all rights, didn't like like you said twenty like a twenty ish game streak where he did nothing. It and didn't he, look good, and he only played sixty seven games, so that was almost a third of his season where he was almost absent and still scored twenty five goals. They, again, I his point pace, point per game pace, wasn't that far behind Larkins. It was behind, but not dramatically. Not as much as someone would think just looking at the raw numbers. If you want, if, if you're a believer in that two to three years with some luck in the draft and uh, maybe a few key pieces brought in in different ways by, by the GM, Steve Eisman, which is a nice thing to say. I don't know. We haven't said it yet this episode. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a believer that that Red Wings team can be competitive... One thing that has to hold consistent, not the only thing, but one thing that has to hold consistent in that hypothetical is Anthony Mantha being a perennial 30-goal scorer. I genuinely believe he has the tools to be a 40-goal scorer. Genuinely. He does. He absolutely does. If if that Bertuzzi-Larkin-Mantha line sticks together for a year and Mantha finds a way to be productive night in, night out, it's not a question he will score 40 goals. It's there. But that's unfortunately the question is, is it going to be there night in, night out for 82 games? Even if he improves on his consistency this year, I know it's not going to be that consistent. But, you know, we said in our in our player profile, the biggest thing holding Anthony Mantha back is Anthony Mantha. And uh, one of the uh, Twitter followers, Lars, uh, Lars Thorzil from, uh, well, he's from overseas, is Norway, Norwegian. I believe I thought it was Swedish. Swedish. Yeah, Swedish. I thought it was Swedish. Sorry, sorry, Lars. I know I'm I'm getting it all mixed up. Uh, As Guardian. Yeah, uh, Lars. <laughs> it's one of the funniest tweets I've seen. Oh, uh, it says on Anthony Mantha, nothing can stop him but himself. And then he quoted us, and then he said, "Enter Jeff," and it was a gift of Jeff Flashell. <laughs> and you know what? Like, this isn't going to be just like unrained Jeff Blashill hate. That's not what it's about, but. Jeff Blashill is the kind of coach to mix up the lineup, especially when a player is not performing well, and he will send him down the lineup. Not as much, and, you know, statistically he hasn't done it a lot recently. As, as time has progressed, he's kind of gotten away from that. Um, we'll see within the next couple seasons whether that will continue, but that is something that I do genuinely believe hurts Anthony Mantha, where, like you said, Brad, when his confidence is down, you know, the punishments will continue until morale improves is not a great strategy for a player like Anthony Mantha. It'll work no. on some guys, but I think it's proven to not you need to keep at it with him. Yeah, no, if, if Anthony Mantha if I'm the coach of the Red Wings and Anthony Mantha has a, a poor three game stretch, I'm just taking him into the video room and I'm queuing up a highlight video of him from this tournament and say, Anthony, I'm watching you to watch this on loop for the next hour and then come out for practice. Oh, a hundred percent. Like um But yeah, and again, when you, the type of game he plays, chemistry with his centerman is important. And Blashill's been known for the line blender. I'm, I'm not going to actually hold that uh, the number of line combinations he had last year against him because 
honestly, the Red Wings didn't go more than three games last year without a forward getting hurt, it seemed. So, <laughs> honestly, I'll cut Blashill a bit of slack on that last season. But, yeah, if if the, if throughout the preseason and come opening night, if it's Mantha, Larkin, Bertuzzi, great. Ride them all. I don't care what you do with the lineup below that. Ride it. Um, and if they have a 10-game cold stretch, that's fine. Here's an argument for drafting, maybe leaning towards need right now, if all the other players in the draft where you're where you're taking them are altogether equal. Um, Anthony Mantha will hugely benefit from being able to play up and down the lineup with a center that's not Dylan Larkin. So if you draft a playmaking center like Trevor Zegras, who can feed him the puck, that means you can shuffle around the lines without risking destroying Anthony Mantha's production. I saw a mock draft today that had Alex Turcock going sixth. That's nice. I was riding a high for about 30 minutes after that. That's nice. I, I, I want to double back and say I'm so sorry, Lars. I know you're from Sweden. I know that. I don't know. I have just like... I came home from the trip. Like we... It was... Got up at 8, had breakfast, took down camp, got in the canoes, paddled, portage, paddled, portage, paddle, drove home for four hours, and then I just like died in the bath and was reborn. Um, and so I just have like... I've completely conked out. So... He's done us too well for uh, for me to say that, and he's a Liverpool supporter. He's on he's on all the right teams. Go go Seagulls! No, no, the Gulls couldn't do it. They didn't do it against Man City. Did you not know that? It was on purpose. No, just to spite Liverpool. What what have they? <laughs> Anyways, I don't watch soccer. Right? <laughs> uh, the Memorial Cup has been uh, going on. I'm not gonna lie to you. I have not caught any of it. Yeah, Jordan McIsaac's been all right. Tournament's been pretty good. No, not a lot to write home about. He's been just okay. Yeah, not. But that's. But Jared McIsaac's quietly effective. That's that's who he is. Mm. You don't notice him, and then you notice that he had. Oh, he had an assist tonight, or he had a goal, or he did this or that. Okay, great. I think Halifax has only played one game, maybe two so far. So we're we're very early in the tournament. So the uh, the NHL playoffs. The Sharks have done enough to piss off the hockey gods, it seems. They took it a step too far with their hand pass game winner, and it looks like the hockey gods said, no, 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 no. You don't get in this easy this time. And so St. Louis took the next two games. Uh, the second, the first one by a score of 2-1 to one to a tight game, and the second one was a thumping of 5 nothing over the Sharks. So St. Louis currently leads that series 3-2, to two, and Detroit is currently one San Jose loss away from losing out on one of the potential conditions that could bump next year's third-round pick that they acquired from the Sharks to a second-round pick, which is bad news bears if you're a Red Wings fan. Uh, good for Bitcoin if you're uh, a fan who just likes justice and not, you know, missed calls, bringing a team all the way to the cup finals, making a face. Yeah, I'm not sure where you're going with that point. No, I'm saying Bitcoin to oh. missed calls to bad for Bitcoin. You ever heard? Have I not said that on air before? You probably have. Yeah, just I don't saying. always pay attention. Whenever something when something bad happens, I I tend to say, "Ah, that's bad for Bitcoin." Got you. I feel like it's just the thing that was said on the internet. Does no one else say that? I feel like that was a, f- a funny thing. I'm maybe. Oh no, am I Brad now? Am I behind on the memes? I was gonna say, Ryan, I'm 31. You need to. Uh, oh no. Adapt here. Oh my goodness. I will have you know. That the uh, 
the worst thing that happened at camp was the thunder the storm started way too early and so we had to go to bed at nine and i woke up appreciative of my full night's sleep on vacation and so yeah maybe i am becoming old and no this is what becoming old is so on saturday night we took mika to the drive-in for the first time this was exciting for two reasons a mika's first time going to the movies Cool, this will be fun. It was a double header, and the first movie was Detective Pikachu. She oh, liked- that's awesome. How was it? Another story, but I missed most of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's an off air story. Oh, um, all right. But, anyways, second movie, whatever. Mika was going to be up to like 12.30 watching the movie. She ended up passing out towards the end of the second movie, but it was almost midnight. I'm like, she's going to sleep in tomorrow. This is amazing. I'm going to get to sleep in for the first time in legitimately like three years. And obviously, because Crystal's pregnant, she ain't getting up early. So I'm like, amazing. And as luck would have it, Mika did not wake up till 930. Is that sleeping in for you? No, my body woke me up at eight. Why? I don't know. Nothing. I had no alarm. I just woke up and I laid there for 45 minutes in protest trying to not fall back asleep. And it just didn't happen. And I'm here. We are 36 hours later and I'm still angry about it. (laughs) You're kind of you are kind of like less chipper today. (laughs) I was also up early today, but that was because of the tiny person. I told Brad uh, I got here about like 10, 15 minutes after when I was supposed to. And I, I said to him, I was like, just so you know. Uh, the whole entire reason I was late was because I pretty much fell asleep in the bath. And Brad looked at me with actual <laughs> contempt, <laughs> which he's never done before. <laughs> and he was like, I hate you. I was like, yeah, I feel bad now. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said anything. Oh, yeah, you're a dad and I'm not. Yeah, this, this is what getting old is like, Ryan. Crystal's uh, Crystal's bump is showing. She's showing. Oh, man. Yep. Yeah, but for for anybody who's never dealt with a pregnant woman before, remember that infographic that's on the internet. When is it okay to ask a woman if she's pregnant? And it shows every month of progression with just no, 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 no. And then below it, it's a woman laying on her back with a child half coming out of her. Maybe. (laughs) You might be able to ask then. So any listeners who come to the uh, preseason meet or like the first game of the season meetup. Yeah, she'll be about eight months yeah. pregnant at that point. So well, she, she's is she going to come? Probably. I'm a trooper. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Uh, well, I, well actually, it, well, don't forget when uh, we went to game three, uh, the last time the Red Wings were in the playoffs mm-hmm. against Tampa Bay, she was seven and a half months pregnant at that game. Oh. Yeah, because that was early April, and Mika was born May 26, and she was pretty close to her due date. So, yeah, that would have been seven, seven and a half months. She's hardcore, and you're soft serve ice cream. I hope you know that. Yeah. It's, it's the fine. same goes for Mel and I, to be honest. I got a lot of replies to, like, I posted a picture of, like, uh, like camping stuff, and a lot of people were said, were like, Ryan, I'm actually kind of surprised that you're, like, you like and are going camping. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to fight that <laughs> one. That, uh, I'm kind of a diva. That aligns completely. Like, doesn't align at all with my personality. I was surprised as well. Your char- your charcuterie board picture had me conflicted. Because on one hand, I'm like, I'm extremely jealous. I've never had a charcuterie board like that while I'm camping. But on the other side, I'm like, that seems way too formal for camping. Uh, you know what? <laughs> that one's all Mel. We were packing up, and we're like, we're we're getting everything into basically two big like wet bags. And she's like, Yeah, I'm getting a charcuterie board. And I was like, How? She's like, I'm just gonna do it. And she did. The uh, that's the credits all to her. 
I was out fishing at, while she was putting together a charcuterie board. I came back with zero fish on a lake that they apparently just stocked, so that sucks. And she had a, an array of cheese and meats, like ten kilometers into the like away from our uh, launch point. Last time I went fishing turned into a two-hour nap and a massive sunburn, so I just don't do that anymore. That's the way you're supposed to do it. <laughs> uh, we're gonna move on to our uh, NHL. Uh, entry draft player profile or prospect profile. It's a lot of words there. And you know what? Tonight's not my night. So forgive me if I get them in the wrong order. Today we're doing Kirby Doc. Um, this is going to be a, I feel like all of these I'm going to say this for, but this is going to be an interesting one because it's a guy that's ranked pretty highly in NHL circles and, and especially with scouting teams and maybe the old school thinkers and a lot of the new school thinkers as well. But um, yeah, I haven't seen a pattern to who rates no yeah it's been a little bit all over the place his rankings are basically scattershot at this point and it's i can understand why um you you start you feel more passionately about doc than i do so you so we've talked about him a lot on the podcast because there's been rumors that have linked him to detroit at six and for good reason obviously so most people are pretty well established on where i'm at with kirby doc but i think people have taken it out of context so i'm going to start by saying I think Kirby Doc is a very good hockey player. He's a surefire, I'm not going to say surefire NHLer, but he's worthy of a top 15 pick in this draft at worst. Okay, even I'm not going to sit here and go, I wouldn't draft him in the first round. He's not that, no, no, no. All the negative things I've said around Kirby Doc are literally just relative to the players he's ranked around. So if I'm comparing Kirby Doc to a Ryan Suzuki, I'm comparing Kirby Doc very favorably. If I'm comparing Kirby Doc to Trevor Zegers, Alex Turcott, I'm not comparing him favorably because I don't think he's on their level. Because Kirby Doc, to me, if this was 2003, would be a lock to be a top five pick. But because it's not, the NHL is faster than it was then, and there's not as much emphasis on size. Not that I'm saying size is a bad thing. Oh, Patty Maroon's throwing that all out the window, these playoffs. Yeah, it's it's not as needed, and it's not as much of an asset as it used to be. I just... So, here's what, to me, Kirby Doc is as a player. Great hands. Great vision. Strong. He's a big player, and that does come with an excellent cycle game. Fantastic along the boards. And I've I've seen the Rasmussen comparisons throwing around, and I'm not going to go that far yet, although there are some similar concerns that I have with Doc that I had with Rasmussen when he was drafted. But Doc has more skill. He's got better hands. So just because he's winning those board battles doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't know what to do with it. He's more Mantha than Rasmussen in those situations. Okay. All those assets are high, high level. His shot's good. Uh, his his skating is better than he gets credit for, much like Anthony Manta. Here's my biggest, biggest concern with Kirby Doc. Pace. He has all the tools, but he's not able to execute them quickly which at the junior level isn't a huge deal. If you're more skilled and bigger than players, you can make things happen. My concern is once he gets to NHL level where things happen at a fraction of a second pace where you get the puck, you turn, and there's a guy on you. You only have a moment to make the decision. I don't see that in Doc's game. And this is why I'm not as high on him as everybody else because to me, that 
could be a fatal flaw in his NHL career. I'm pretty sure Kirby Doc's going to find a place in the NHL, but if he is one of those guys who plays a couple seasons and then we don't really hear much of him, I'm not going to be entirely surprised. I would not bet on that scenario, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility because it is such a big deal with how fast the game is now. So Kirby Doc is a guy who the more I watch about him, the more I kind of backpedal my own hesitations because he is extremely talented in a lot of ways. I struggle to find any specific facet of his game that I think actually, I don't think a fatal flaw exists within him. I, I I'm confident he's, he is going to be a productive NHL player at some level. Um, you, Scott Wheeler said um, he doesn't think that he or he's doubtful that he could be the dynamic, explosive uh, number one center potential. And that I actually kind of really agree with. Like you said, his biggest downfall is what his skating, but it's pretty deceptive. It's it, it's pretty good. It's, it's not wonderful, but it's pretty good. It's fine. And I his size, especially, I would say it's good. Yeah, it's it's fine it, relative to everybody else in the NHL size. Be damned. It's. NHL standards, he would be a league average skater. But with his other skills, skills, that's fine. Especially like he's a great puck handler. He's a pass first defense or a pass first centerman he, who can probably afford to shoot more. He's very heavy on the pass first too because when you hear big skilled player, you think of the Rasmussens who are, I'm going to get to the net, I'm going to bang in some rebounds and I'm going to be a fir- shot first option. No, no, no. Kirby Doc is a playmaker through and through. Uh, he's, his puck work is great either on the perimeter in tight, like he's displayed a lot of skill in there. So I think if, you know, if whatever team drafts him is going to get a pretty, uh, adept, uh, puck distributor, um, the pace thing. Yeah. I can see the concern there because the thing is too. So you can get around the pace thing. Okay. That is not to me something that says he can't be an NHLer because of that. But to me, what that basically, from an evaluation standpoint, to me, with that problem, we'll call it a problem, it means he's not going to be a play driver. He's not going to be the go-to guy on a line. I have the exact same concerns with Cole Caulfield, for anybody who thinks I'm being biased here to the big, slow player, air quotations. He's going to need someone to play with him, and that's... Fine. That still merits a first round pick, but to me, that does not merit a top five pick. That probably doesn't. That's a fringe top 10 pick. If I'm drafting a guy in the top 10, I want a guy who I know is going to be the guy on his line. He might be a second liner, but he'll be the guy on the second line. I do not see that with Kirby Doc. I I view Kirby Doc, like even defensively, he's been like pretty like he's shown a lot of skill he doesn't he's not overly physical he doesn't really drive the defensive play with his body but he's really good at using his long reach to break up plays every single facet of doc's game other than like his really like skilled ones i don't want to take those away from him but pretty much every other facet of his game that isn't his puck handling or his puck distribution there's just seems to be a, a cap or a ceiling and that's not a bad thing if you have a player where like in almost every attribute you know they're ranking anywhere from a six to a seven and a half or an eight that's phenomenal for, for what the Red Wings need, in my mind, you want game-breaking potential. And Doc just kind of screams to me, high floor, low ceiling. Uh, his production has always been good, great, but not like the top, of the top of the league. And what you're essentially looking for is someone who could, like someone who's setting records, someone who's standing out, someone who's doing something phenomenal. 
could Doc turn around and do that, or could Doc's like uh, game translate almost uh, seamlessly into the NHL and make us look stupid? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually pretty probable, not probable, but like it's a pretty high probability in terms relative to all of his other potential paths. But with what's around him, like you said, the guys he's being ranked around, he's not my favorite pick for Detroit at six. I always preach pick someone with game-breaking potential. It's not there for me. He has a lot of really good assets, and I can see why that is so enticing to coaches and scouts because they're like, it's a complete player. He has no gaps. But you want a guy who can drive that line. You want a guy who can put the puck in no matter what. You want a guy who can make passes so freakish. You're like, how did he even see that? Yeah, so on the positive end of things, if, again, I I don't like player comparables, but it's the easiest way to describe. It's a lazy way, but it's an easy way. If everything goes right for Kirby Doc, like, I mean, everything goes exactly perfect for him in his transition to the NHL, his best case scenario is Ryan Getzlaff. That's the type of player he is. If it doesn't, he could see all the same struggles that Michael Rasmussen saw this year in Detroit. Because again, you look at the again, we as Red Wings fans should have a very good feel for what I'm talking about here because we saw Michael Rasmussen with all the tools, but he struggled to keep up to the pace of the NHL. Now, that's not to say that might not happen in time, but I don't think a single Red Wings fan is sitting here going, yeah, Michael Rasmussen is going to be a, a second line center and he's going to score 60, 70 points in a year. Not going to happen. That's just the reality. But if Michael Rasmussen scores 25 goals and gets 15 assists, I think we're going to be happy at this point. But again, a 40-point player between picks 5 to 10, not great. That's not what you're looking for. So that that's kind of the range of where I'm at on Kirby Doc right now. So again, uh, not that I hate the player. I don't. Just not that. Just not as high as he's being ranked. I, we, I tend to be lower on him than... Almost every other ranking I've seen. I, he's pretty consistent between four and eight on most of what I'm looking at. He's hovering around 10 for me. You're like, the problem is, like, I don't want, I also don't want to say, like, all those things I just put together where I said, like, he's good. That's not, like, I don't believe that that's 10 to 15, you know, range good attributes. I, like, I genuinely think that the people who rank him top eight are correct in doing so. I think his is if you put everything together and the fact that he's that complete of a player with that many like positive skills, it, it's I I would be hard pressed to scoff at a team who takes him at five or later. Again, my personal opinion. I'll or scoff my pers- if the Red Wings do. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, we happen to share the same opinion where he doesn't scream in any one of those single talents. Um, it's not like he has Cole Caulfield scoring ability. He doesn't fly around the ice. And so that's why we don't quite prefer him. But at the end of the day, say the Reading was drafted. Let's go pie in the sky here at the what's you. They have a very good probability of having a pretty good number two centerman who you never know could still skyrocket and be a number one overall. It is guy. position of need for Detroit, but this actually, but let's just put it this way. Okay. So here's reference for last year versus this year. Okay. Going into last year's draft. My opinion of Joe Valeno then is higher than my opinion of Kirby Doc is now. And I had Valeno ranked 11th, but I do think that draft was a little stronger because of the defenseman, so it skewed a few things. And Valeno didn't go till 30. Now, mind you, that's looking asinine. It looks like he absolutely should have went around 10 based on the season he just had. But Valeno also has... 
he checks a lot of boxes in terms of the kind of skill sets that you and I both prefer. In, in yeah, this is, true. this is true. Um, so our bias is showing a little. I do. I, I want to go on a quick tangent about draft analysis. And I've had some people. Okay, before you do that tangent, I want to do a bit of a thought experiment with you based on where you think Doc should be ranked. Right. Because I'm, I'm actually probably at some point this week going to throw my rankings on Patreon. Um, so everybody can see them about a month out for where I'm at. I'm just going to run through top 10 ranked prospects or a bunch of names. Tell me where, when I get on the list, you would start taking Doc over these guys. Okay. okay. I'm going to skip using Kako because obviously yeah. Turcotte. No. Uh, Byram. No. Zegris. No. Pod Colson. No. Cousins. No. Caulfield. No. Um... Oh, am I forgetting here? Krebs. Probably, yeah. Okay. Because I still have Krebs higher than him. I like that's the, probably the first one where it might happen. Yeah. yeah. Then if we and then any of the defensemen, uh York, Broberg, Soderstrom. No. So you probably have Doc. Oh, sorry. I, I would take him over those guys. You take him over? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you probably have him around eight then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is I think a pretty fair assessment. Yeah. You know what? And that's not a knock on Kirby Doc. He he had a rough kind of December, January, but rounded out the season pretty well. Um, I think actually I might be my Sam stats here, but, and there's a lot of guys who accelerated right past him. You know, the USMTTP kind of has taken it all by storm. So. Man, that USMTTP is going to be a fascinating case study going down a few. I am super curious legitimately to see what those guys are five years in the NHL, because are they all just going to be great players? And that's why the NTDP was great. Or are they all going to be average players? And they were all great in the NTDP because they were all so good playing off each other. Yeah. Is it, are they all <laughs> going to crash and burn? It turns out we only think that they're great because that's where all the media coverage is. They just had a lot of really above average players on one team. Or what are these guys legitimately elite? Uh, <laughs> I decided that I'm going to save my tangent for next episode. I need to be more articulate. And it's a point that I've been uh, meaning to make. Uh, there's draft previews every episode. But for now, we're going to go to our Red Wings player profile. Lil Tuzi Bert. Bert Tuzi. Baby Bert. Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, Bert we, Box. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> haven't heard that one yet. Nope. Bert and Ernie. Uh, there's, no, there's nothing there. The uh, Yeah. He's on the line. Be Ernie. I, I was trying to think of who Ernie. Oh, maybe Manta, I guess. But no, it doesn't. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. We need to trade for uh, Adam Ernie from Tampa Bay. Yeah, we really do. Because there's literally an Ernie in the <laughs> NHL. Hey, we, maybe he comes back when we take Ryan Callahan's contract. Maybe. <laughs> I have no read on Ernie. Is he? He's not good. I was going to say, it doesn't really strike me as a player worth trading for. Regardless, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi is someone that we've talked about a lot and for good reason on the show. Um, we've You can probably take this sound clip from any one of 10 episodes, but he's a guy where we said, if he's going to really make it in the show, he needs to take a big step this year, and we said that at the start of last season, he needs to take a big step this year in a way and make himself stand out. Um, he needs to combine all those parts of his game and pretty much have a top of his game season. And he did. He was a great standout for the Red Wings. My favorite part about Tyler Bertuzzi's year is before the season, everybody, the, the running consensus was we really hope Michael Rasmussen turns into Thomas Holmstrom 2.0. And then Tyler Bertuzzi just comes in. Hi, guys. I got this. He is a coach's dream. Has a ton of talent, a lot of skill, does not look too out of place playing with uh, players like Larkin and Mantha. Really helps generate offense on that line, does not drag him down. Works his absolute butt off. Like the coaches and management must love this guy. Gets in the other team's face. Maybe sometimes sucker punches guys, which, you know, 
probably could afford to do less, but still, like he has a ton. He just plays with. He is the definition of tenacity. He is going to be as long as he's on this team and continues this level of play. He's going to be a fan favorite. We're going to call him the heart and soul of the Red Wings in some time to come. Absolutely fantastic season and definitely has a place in the top nine of the Red Wings. So if you went to the hockey dictionary and looked up, what is a really good complimentary player? It'd just be a picture of Tyler Bertuzzi. Oh, yeah. Because when you drop Tyler Bertuzzi down the lineup, he's probably, he, if he plays on the third line all year, he might not score 15 goals. Realistically. Yeah. He doesn't have the skill set to drive a line. He's, he's a below average NHL level skater. But like all the things you said, when you put him with two guys who can really play, his deflecting abilities in front of the net this year uh, looked almost elite, which is a skill set I knew he had would was which was good. I didn't know it was this good because he seemed to get his stick on everything this year. His net front is well above average. His cycle game is above average. His compete is above average. But none of his skill sets are a guy who can drive a line. So if you put him on a line with Philip Zadine and Michael Rasmussen, that line's going to struggle. But you put him with two players like Larkin and Mantha, who can get him the puck, who they're going to be the primary trigger men on the line, and Bertuzzi's just there for the cleanup. Yeah, it works. And his hockey IQ is good enough that he doesn't slow them down before the puck gets to the net. He can make those neutral zone passes. He can make those offensive zone entry passes. He can make those plays. He's not, again, not going to be the driver on those plays, but he's not incompetent to the point where he's going to slow the other guys down, which is what you need. Because here's the beauty of a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi in today's NHL. He's not going to cost you a lot. And you can put them on the first line. Every team, every good team has that guy to some capacity. For Toronto, it's a, a Zach Hyman. Um, for San Jose, it's a Kevin LeBanc. Not necessarily that they're all similar skill set players, but those guys that come cheap because that you know what they are and they're not going to command top dollar because of what they are. But you can now pay Larkin. You can pay Mantha and you can complete that line without having that line cost $24 million a year. Tyler Bertuzzi's played at last year about a 52 to 53 point pace. Yeah, he um, had almost 25 goals. He was absolutely, he, he hit the nail on the head. Is he a guy who who would have produced less with a like lower level t- line mates? Yeah, absolutely. Even, even on the second line, I don't think he scores 20. If he spends most of his season on the second line last year, I don't even think he scores 20. But like you said, that is not a knock. On a team that's A, lacking offensive production from a lot of different guys and B needs to set itself up in a way where it can't afford to pay its core as they enter their primes. Tyler Bertuzzi is the perfect player to be tagging along along the top six. And if he's playing in your top nine on the third line, that's probably a great problem to have because it means you have better players up there and you have who you know to be an effective player still in your third line. But as the argument goes, do you load up the top line or do you spread out the talent? And as a lot of studies have shown, I know Prashanth was on this uh, train. No, that if you can spread out the talent throughout your lineup, it's better. So having a guy like Bertuzzi who can plug in on your first line allows a guy like Athens you to go down and drive your second line, which objectively, if you want to put your three best players on the top line, yeah, no, Bertuzzi would not be there. He's he's not going to win this team a cup, and definitely like it's not like he's a perfect player. I think defensively he's uh, I w- I don't want to say a liability, but there's basically nothing to be spoken for there. He's not a great player defensively, but like his offensive generation, he's an important cog in any of the successes team has seen. 
I I think he's a guy who will persist through any iteration of this team because I don't think his value is so high where teams are going to try to trade for him, like, say, Athanasiu or Mantha. Um, but it's high enough where he can still be a great contributor where if he's playing with Larkin or if he's playing with whatever new centerman Detroit takes in the draft or, or somewhere else down the lineup, he's going to make his contributions. Effort and those, sorry, intangibles um, are what, pretty much seem to have brought him to this point because of the huge leap he took. So as long as he works on that and relies on his athleticism and his, his youth right now, absolutely is going to be a phenomenal piece. Fan favorite, heart and soul of of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, it, just an absolute blast to watch. And I know I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I'm going to reiterate it because this was really truly his first full, full season in the NHL. Yeah. But it's also important to note he's 24. He is what he is. Oh, yeah. If he has any improvement this year, take it. It's fantastic, but it's going to be pretty minimal. He's not a 30-goal scorer. He's not a 60-point player. He's He might have a season or two where he gets has a couple hot streaks that get him there, but consistently, no, that's not going to be him. He's not Marchand. He's not ranting and he's not these guys he's a 50 point complimentary player he does enough work so that even on the nights where he's not on the score sheet he's creating space for mantha and larkin yeah he is um if he continues to put up points at this pace for the rest of his prime years and then beyond that's thrilling that's fantastic he's at like you couldn't ask for more from Tyler Bertuzzi. That's really what it boils down to. You couldn't possibly ask for more from Tyler Bertuzzi. True. And then for reference, he's, he is on the Canadian World Championship team right now, which is an accomplishment in and of itself. He's been a healthy scratch a couple games, but playing def- played defense in a couple practices. But, uh, oh, we forgot to mention, last I checked, Philip Peronik was the leading scorer for defensemen in the tournament. I think so. He's uh, seventh or ninth overall in, in points. He's yeah, got, he's got seven, points. seven points in six games as a defenseman. Is it seven and six or nine and six? Seven, uh, three and four, hmm. I think. Still. Yeah, there's, yeah. Everything's everything is coming up Red Wings right now. At the World Championships. Uh, we're going to move this over to uh, Patreon. Lark- Larkin had a nice goal last game, too. Yes, he did. With a fantastic setup from uh, Van Riemsdyk. Here we go. Look at that. Everything's coming up Millhouse. Uh, we're going to move this over to overtime uh, in starting off with our Patreon uh, supporters. All of our Patreon subscribers get their comments right out on air. Guaranteed is our way of saying thank you for supporting their show. Their show. Our show. Your show. It's everyone's show. Uh, Joseph Delia says, hey, guys, I don't know about you guys, but Larkin and Mantha's goal at the Worlds are doing funny things to my pants. Also, what would you guys prefer for our second round picks? Best player or position? Thanks. Best player. Uh, second round picks is where you get guys where like effectively like Valeno, McIsaac, Berggren, uh, you take whatever guy that shouldn't have fallen out of the first round and you take him then. Um I know this season hasn't been inspiring, but that's how like San Jose got guys like Merkley in the second round and and things like that. Uh, in the in the second round, you're everybody's gonna have flaws at that point, and if they didn't, they wouldn't be in the second round. You're looking at skill sets and attributes, and you're just hoping to refine around them. We just mentioned Philip Heronik was a second round pick. He had four points in his draft year because he was a 17 year old playing in a men's league, sheltered minutes. That's what you look for in the second round. Like, I don't know, a guy like Ilya Nikolaev in Russia right now who's getting overshadowed by Dorofiev and uh, Pod Colson, but has the talent. So you swing for guys like that. Position to be damned, you're identifying talent. Because that's all the draft is, but 
the further back you go in the draft, it just magnifies it because there's not going to be a lot of it there. Mm-hmm. Like the Red Wings taking a swing at Kevin Mackey last year. He was 135 pounds, but he had all the talent in the world. So you're just like, yeah, maybe he'll get bigger. Let's hope. So you take a guy in the second round who's an elite passer, but might be an exceptionally poor skater or tiny or whatever. And you'd be like, okay, hey, maybe. Sebastian Ajo was also a recent second round pick. There's, you're going to see a lot of uh, attribution to success being assigned to second round picks for the Red Wings because they've had more second round picks, I believe, than anything else or second and third round picks. Like they've, they've absolutely stocked up. And if you're, if it's not a first round pick, your second round picks are the most likely to be successful. Yeah. It's hard to come by first round picks. And so you're going to see a lot of Red Wings and, and teams that are similar to how uh, the rebuilt, like the Red Wings, have second round pick players being the core of those teams. If you're not going to hit in the first round, the second round's your next best best bet. It's 40, pretty traditional thinking. 44% of second round picks end up becoming regular NHLers. So yeah, you can't miss on those too often. Uh, Cyril uh, Rubicki or Rubitsky, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, says, having never played organized hockey, I was curious how early players are locked into their position. And is that usually dictated by skill set, personal preference, coaching decision, etc.? That can that can change quite a bit. Um, if you have a really good coach or a really good youth hockey program, they'll kind of let kids explore all options. Uh, but you know, well, at a still pretty young age, they'll probably try to lock them into a position. But that's not to say that that you know players don't change at different points in their careers. You find out about goalies or like defensemen who turn to goalies or goalies who turn to like wingers or centermen who turn to defensemen or defensemen who turn to wingers anywhere from like ages of like 9, 12, 13, 15. Brent Burns was a right winger for the Minnesota Wild, I believe. Yeah, even last year's draft, Keandre Miller was a forward up until like two years before the draft. Yeah. It's, it's not rare. That being said, in minor hockey, it's it's largely preference. I Whatever my skill set was as a hockey player growing up, be damned, I was not going back to defense. I would like scoring goals. That's what I wanted to do. That's why I played hockey. If they had told me to go back to defense, I'd be like, cool, I'm going to play for Waterloo now. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I loved playing defense as a kid. I remember I had a coach that said, you'd be good at defense. I went, I'm too young to understand that. But as I got older, I wanted to stay with it. So as kids develop, that's it's just preference. But if you're talking about players who turn into NHL players, they have really, they, like, they're paying big money for fantastic hockey schools and development programs, and they're playing on national teams, and, and they're pretty good at picking up their skill sets. You'll have the oddball who can play different positions, but it's usually decided rather young. I would say anything past the age of 15 is pretty rare and then having them go on to be you know, successful in professional hockey. Uh, in a similar vein, why is it that prospects seem to be rarely converted from forward to defense or vice versa? I'm more familiar with baseball, where many, if not most, prospects change defensive positions as they progress up the minor league ladder. Seems to me that it would be worth trying to convert a failed forward prospect to an offensive-minded defenseman or a defensive prospect to a penalty-killing specialist forward once it's clear they do not have a hope of making the NHL at their original position. Cheers and keep up the good work. That's not a bad take, honestly. You do see it sometimes. Hockey is just a, a there's a, a a level of skill that is present for every player on the ice in hockey, though. So it's not like baseball where um, if you're not great in the outfield or if you're not great at, at shortstop, you can move to first base or something like that. Yeah, if you hit 320 in baseball, they're going to put you wherever the hell they have to. Um, and if you're elite at one position defensively but hit 210, yeah, they're going to keep you at the position. But that being said, though, Baseball, anywhere in the infield outside of first base, is pretty much the same position, just to different degrees, right? 
going from four to defense in hockey is night and day. There is so much that goes into it. You can't learn that in a year. Like the nuances of the position, the angles, the positioning, the timing. It's you can't. It's not like going from second base to third base. No, you. It's like I watch hockey differently, having played defense my whole life. I watch the game genuinely differently. It's it's. There's so much, and it's not to say, you know, hockey's a superior sport or you have to be better at sports or it's more complicated. That's not it. It's, it's a different, the game is played in a different way, but it's, it's a pretty complicated thing to do. And even when you see like Brent Burns went from a, a forward to a defenseman, he's still not good defensively. Like just flat out Brent Burns isn't good defensively. He's a phenomenal offensive defenseman and absolutely can carry a team, but he's not good defensively. It's, you're not going to find players who can play both ways like that. And then you have like Sergey Fedorov and you know guys doing that kind of thing. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi. Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah, I mean Tyler Bertuzzi for uh, took a few line rushes with Team Canada's defense, but everybody got injured. Yeah. Scott Fultz says subscribed a while back, became a Patreon uh, earlier this month. Hey, thanks so much, Scott, and welcome to the Dub Dub family. Uh, love the content you guys put out each week. Keep it up, and thank you. On to the important stuff. When's the Dub Dub meetup for Griffin's game? Uh, more breweries here in Grand Rapids than you can sneeze at. And with Brad expecting number two, he's going to need to make a weekend out of it before he can't. With or without Evan. No offense, Evan. It's just no one knows if you're real or not. You make a lot of good points in one post. That's probably something we really, really need to do. Honestly, next year, what I'd uh, at some point next calendar year, what I'd like to do, because uh, I'm not getting a lot of vacation time from work this year, because that's all being burned on Kid 2's birth, mm. um, is I just want to find a a weekend or like a three, four, five days stretch where the schedule lines up where we can go down to a wings game and then spend the night in Detroit and then drive down to Grand Rapids for a game or two or something like that. Just like, cause Grand Rapids is a mission for us. So we're not going to be going down just for a game. No. That, that will not happen. Just, like, not like just a game and come back. That's hard. So we'll have to, yeah, yeah you're right. That is actually a really good way to do it. Yeah. Though. Just like find a good window in the schedule where we can make like a three, four day thing of it. Yeah. It'd be so much easier. Uh, Matthew Tangsrud says, Hey guys, hope you guys had a nice weekend. I'm here in uh, North Dakota hoping that the weather cooperates so I can get my yard work done. Oh, the joys of home ownership. Hey Ryan, not too long ago, I exchanged a couple of tweets with you about the idea of putting Mantha with Athanasiu and Zadina with Larkin and Bertuzzi and the merits of this above. Uh, merits of this move. I really want to hear what Brad's thoughts are about it. One more time. Uh, idea of putting Mantha with Athanasiu and Zadina with Larkin and Bertuzzi. So sticking Mantha with double A and then uh, Larkin Zadina Bertuzzi being the line. Okay, so that's a question I can't give a full answer to because I I, I love the idea of putting Zadina there because Zadina and Mantha are both going to be the finishers on whatever line they play on. Mm-hmm. They will be the triggermans. So even though Zadina and Mantha are fundamentally very different players, it makes sense that either one of them would slot into that spot. Now, I don't love the idea of Mantha with Athanasiu unless... We have we drafted Trevor Zegris type player and have that him playing center with those guys because Athanasio and Mantha are two triggermen. They're not cycle guys. They're not uh, the get the puck back guys, and they're not playmakers. Not that they're incompetent passing or anything like that, but those are guys who want the puck on their sticks to finish the play. And I don't think they complement each other very well. Um, unless, like I said, they have a guy like a, a Nicholas Backstrom between them who is going to take three shots a year, but set those guys up for infinite amount of chances. So if something like that happens, yeah, I'm all for it. I don't see a downside there, but I'm also of the mindset right now. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
and that Larkin Mantha Bertuzzi line, there's no good reason to separate them based on anything that's happening below them in the lineup. Lots is going to happen. Every iteration of every line is going to be explored. We're going to see it at some point. That's just the reality of it. I yeah, I I, I know that's going to happen, but it shouldn't happen because that top line's young. That's a line that you can keep together for five to ten years, like Boston and Colorado are doing with their top lines right now. Not that they'll be that good to the same extent, but you can do that, and then you can fiddle around with the bottom nine. Like Athanasiu can drive a line, and ideally one day Zadina will be able to drive a line. Valeno, whether he's a second or third line center, fine. He's a playmaking center. And then if they draft another one this year, they're they're in a really good spot to set up three legitimate threats at, at up front, which is not something they've been able to say since, what, 09? Uh, additional question, if there's one thing you want to see Bertuzzi work on this offseason, what would it be? My opinion would be skating. Oh, it's not even a debate. If he's going to work on anything, it's skating. He's pretty solid at everything else. Uh, less penalties, more skating. Yeah. Yeah, I... Skating, like one of the fundamentals. You're not too concerned about anything else at this point. Uh, Joe Caboose119Z Falzone says, where do you guys think uh, some of the UFAs will end up? Which team are the best fits? Don't forget Gus. Uh, I think Bobrovsky and Panarin are both going to be partying together in Florida. I think so as well. Uh, If not... Panarin to New York. New York. One of the New York teams, either one of them makes a lot of sense. Um, if the New York teams miss out on Panarin, I'd expect them to be big swingers for the Duchesnes and the Carlsons of the world, the other premium uh, free agents. Um, I think Duchesne will stay with Columbus. I think that's my prediction, too. I, I'm i surprised Carlson didn't extend it with San Jose because once that trade was made, I thought for sure he was going to just stay there. I don't know. Um, I think Carlson likes the East Coast better uh, is the vibe I'm getting. There's a lot of talk about his uh, wife really like missing home in Ottawa. So anywhere down the East Coast is a lot easier, easier to get up to Ottawa rather than... Yeah, so Montreal and Ottawa don't have the cap space because those... Uh, no. Sorry, not Montreal and Ottawa. Montreal and Toronto don't have the cap space. So, But if you fly he, from Tampa Bay, you're in the same time zone. Yeah, Tampa's going to make a heavy Ish. run. Uh, the New York teams are going to make a heavy run. I think Detroit and Buffalo will be in the mix, and yeah. I think they'll throw some pretty serious money at him. Um, I don't see why he would want to go to either of those teams versus his other options. But hey, crazier things have happened. Interesting one. Jordan Eberle. What happens with him? I think he's going to get overlooked. I don't think he's going to get a very big contract out of this. He's had a great season. He had an all right season. He had a Jordan Eberle season. 20-something goals, 40-ish, 50-ish points. He's going to get... He'll get he won't get more than 6.5 mil on probably a 4-ish year contract, is my guess. Um, but the thing is, for the dollar he'll command, there'll be a lot of teams that'll be in on that. So Maybe great season is not the great right way to put it, but he had a great playoffs. Yeah. Everly, I could see making sense for a team that's on the cusp of being really good. Do you know what team is, what makes a lot of sense for Everly, depending what happens with the rest of their UFAs? Hmm. San Jose. Yeah, if they could get them on the cheap. Do you know what team makes the most sense for Everly, but it'll never effing happen? What? Edmonton. <laughs> Can you imagine? It, it sounds like I'm saying that as a joke, but Everly needs to go to a team that's got a strong top-end group, but is lacking at the wing. Now, the most teams are strong down the wing and lack centers, so Eberle is going to be an interesting case study. Columbus makes sense. Edmonton makes a lot of sense. I think Calgary makes a lot of sense, too. Any of the Western Canadian teams, honestly, because Vancouver needs help 
as well. But I don't know. There's there's going to be a few suitors for him. I'm just curious to see who's actually going to fork over the bucks he's going to ask for. Rowan says, happy one-month anniversary for yesterday, uh, everybody. Which RFA not named Marner or Truba is the most contentious this July, most likely to end up in arbitration slash traded? Ooh, so that it could get go south. I think Sebastian Ajo. I was going to say Sebastian Ajo. Not that Carolina doesn't know he's worth it. Not that nobody knows how good he is. But Dundon doesn't like They don't pay pay guys that... Like, we're talking about Marner, like, making 10 mil. Sebastian Ajo probably is going to need to be paid. Matt Cain's projection, I think, had him just over 9 mil a year. So, and there's going to be a premium paid. Yeah. Especially on a team that's going to be carried by him. Because Carolina right now is apparently just going to let Furland walk because they don't want to pay him what he's worth, which is a mistake. But That's nuts. Uh, unless he's asking for like eight years, I wouldn't give him that much term, but I'd give him the money, the the cap hit. But uh, yeah, I think I think Ajo's is going to be very interesting. Because didn't Dundon just lose like two hundred and fifty million on the AAF too? Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, Apollos. I always believed in you. Jersey time. All-time best. Fleet forever. <laughs> all-time best musical note team jersey versus best bear team jersey. Which jersey wins? Christ, musical note. I just immediately go to St. Louis. Who else is there? No, no. He's saying the best St. Louis jersey versus the best Boston jersey. And it's St. Louis because they have that awesome saxophone trumpet jersey. Okay, yeah. St. Jersey. Louis's jerseys are far superior to Boston's. But if we're going to talk about the best iteration of each of their jerseys... Their best, their best jersey that they have up again, like best versus best. Yeah, okay. So, say my favorite of St. Louis is actually going to be one of the least less popular opinions on it because I know I'm in the minority, minority on this. Their early '90s jerseys when Brett Hull was in his prime, that nice, simple blue jersey with the yellow and white stripes with the red pinstripe going through it. Oh, that okay. was the best iteration. It was simple but perfect. Um, but I haven't really disliked any of St. Louis's jerseys, and that's going up against Winnie the Pooh. Well, and actually, you know what? Boston's jerseys of the same era probably get my vote as well. Truly, though, uh, St. Louis's third jerseys this year, like or the the really light blues, like their classic ones. Those ones are absolutely awesome. Uh, their musical note jerseys will literally never be rivaled, though. You can never take those away. Yeah, I will take St. Louis's worst jerseys over worst iteration of their jerseys over any of Boston's iterations. Uh, Chris Canal says I don't hey, like I don't like black, yellow, and white. It's not my color scheme. I don't care what anybody says. Chris says, "Hey boys, pretty sure you guys will cover this in the pod, but I'll ask anyways. I've seen a lot of trade rumors so, uh, surrounding recently with Stevie making a deal with Kenny and that deal involving Ryan Nugent Hopkins for Mantha. My opinion: if those rumors are true, I would be much more willing to give up Athanasiu rather than Mantha. As for Nugent Hopkins, he's definitely a solid three-line center and could be a very useful on a contending team, but I don't know if his $6 million cap hit is worth it for him. Maybe I'm selling him a little short. Would like to get your opinion on the matter. Also, I feel like with Athanasiu's 30-plus goal season and his speed to keep up with, and maybe even faster, a guy like McDavid, he could get a greater return if we were to trade him. Sorry for the long-winded comment. Top-notch work as always, uh, guys. Have a good one. Okay, so few things to take in here. I agree. I'd rather move Athens to you than Mantha. I think his trade value would be higher, and I think his ceiling is lower. I love Ryan Nugent Hopkins as a player, but he's and, and he's a center, so he fills a direct need for Detroit, so he makes a lot of sense, and yeah, you would probably have to give up a guy like that, but this just comes down to me, stick with the evil you know versus the one you don't. We don't know how good Nugent Hopkins would be in Detroit because in Edmonton, where he's getting tons of opportunity, he's a consistent 50 to 60 point player, which is great. At $6 million a year, it's fine. 
But right now, Athanasio and Mantha are both a lot cheaper than that. Now, that might change depending how the RFA negotiations go next summer. But throughout the year, they'll probably have a good idea of what those guys are going to ask for. And that will sway heavily on whether or not Detroit should consider that. Because if Athanasio is sitting here, yeah, I want seven mil a year. Well, no, I'd rather take Nugent Hopkins six. If Athanasio is saying, yeah, I'll take five and a half over eight. Sure. I'd rather Athanasio then. So it's going to be interesting. But I, I don't. To me. To, to that was me taking a really long-winded way of saying I think it's just a lateral move. I uh, I would prefer Mantha at this point. Not that Nugent Hopkins is a bad player, you know. Not that the Nugent Hopkins has been in a position to succeed. I think just with age and when you need the players to be good and what Mantha Dude, could aren't be. Aren't they like the same age? Weren't they pretty close to the same draft? Uh, how old's Mantha? I think he's Nugent Hopkins can't be more than two years older than Mantha. I think it's two years. Anthony yeah. Mantha's 24. Yeah, they're um, not that far apart. So Nugent Hopkins. It, yeah, Mantha's born in 94. Nugent Hopkins is, oh, wow, it's just a year and a half. Yeah, so never mind. I was wrong about age. Yeah, Nugent man, it feels like he's been around forever, though. That being said, I still think Mantha's ceiling is higher. And if he ever gets there, who knows? But I'm not taking the chance that he gets there on another team. It's. I don't see the move making sense right now. It wouldn't be the end of the world, but yeah, like... I agree also on the point that I would rather kind of move um, see you for a better value. Uh, we have some hashtag ask WWPs. Uh, Ty Holler says, if uh, Mo and Athanasiu hit a similar above average point production, say Mantha 30 goals, 40 assists, Athanasiu 30 goals, 30 assists next season, what do you think the best worst case scenarios are for contract extensions? Uh, if they're both putting up 60-ish points, I could see them asking seven to eight per year. Yeah. Like Nylander, looking at Nylander's contract is a good comparison. Uh, Zeebs says, with the talk of taking on bad contracts, how do you feel about Turris? Uh, Nashville can move him up to free some cap space, and he seems to have chemistry with Mantha. Too much term. How much term does he have left? Three or four years. How much does he make? Six something, I think. Uh, we have time for some Reddit that's, questions. That's too much term for a reclamation project. I, I'd If he had one or two years left, I'd be... All in on, yeah, sure, we'll take a gamble on him, put him with Mantha, see if it works here. If not, just put Mantha back with Larkin, but no, there's too much term to take that gamble. Uh, we have time for some Reddit questions. Yarvik7 says, hey guys, loving the way the young wings are showing their skill in the world. Hope that confidence uh, they are showing translates to next season. Here's my question. How do you peel your bananas from the stem or the bottom? Who the hell peels a banana from the bottom? me of effing course you do (laughs) it's better you never squish the banana the peel never messes up you pinch it and you peel it. it's perfect it's how it's meant to be done i'll show you next time i've never had any issues squishing or anything peeling from the top it uh there's it's legitimately how it's supposed to be done monkeys where do you even grasp anyways i don't have i don't have fingernails ryan no you don't it it comes apart you just like squeeze it between your fingers and it comes apart um i'm I'm open seed in the bottom of your banana I'm open for a demonstration. All right, let's do it. That's This is going to be... It's a lot of fruit-related demonstrations on this show. Uh, also, just as important, which way do you uh, unroll the toilet paper? Over or under? Over, but I'm very... Now that I have child, soon-to-be children, under is starting to make a lot of sense so that they don't just pile it up on the ground. Yeah, you know what? I used to scream that anyone who put it under was a sociopath, but I also don't have children. So if you have a child or a cat, you're allowed to put it under. Otherwise, you have to put it over. Otherwise, I'm calling the police. (laughs) 
Uh, Joe Cool Reed says, hey guys, long-term Twitter follower, recently started listening. I have two questions. What is the realistic return for a Glendening or Green or Howard? Okay, Howard, depend how the season goes. Because this year, the way he was playing, a first-round pick was reasonable, but the way he finished the season, maybe a fourth. Green, again, if he starts... If he plays this season the way he started last season, probably a second. Glendening, maybe a fourth. If, like, I think best case scenario. And that's assuming they're all playing well. Yeah. I think Green has a newfound value now, which is a guy who you know you're not going to have to pay long term. Uh, You don't have to worry about contract stuff. And if you're only using him as a rental, he's a great guy to add to your defensive core for offensive output. So. I'm really just hoping Edmonton's in a fringe playoff spot come February because that would make all the sense in the world. Yeah. Uh, also, where do you see the Red Wings finishing next season standings-wise? 22nd-ish. Yeah, similar spot. A lot of things need to, like, I would have put Detroit lower in the Atlantic. So, well, they were second last in the Atlantic. I think they're definitely going to be better than where Ottawa. They? Yeah, they were they were second last to Ottawa. I I could see them being second last again. I would not be shocked if they leapfrogged Buffalo. Third last, they were uh, New Jersey. Oh, tank them. Atlantic, Ryan. Atlantic. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was looking at the entire Eastern Conference. Um, yeah, I think 20 seconds are pretty good peg. Anywhere from 20 to 25, I think, is fair. Lower than that, I'd be kind of surprised. It wouldn't be the worst thing. That's That would be great for the draft pick, but that would be a little concerning that there wasn't any progress. But again, depending how the roster shakes down injuries, there's variables. Uh, Cross Crease Pass says, what did you guys think of the Game of Thrones finale? Uh, First half of the episode, great. Second half, uh, whatever. The... I don't, I, let's not go into too much detail. I can't go into want. the details, but... Because I know people haven't watched. Uh, how do I say I'm disappointed with who Tyrion was talking about in that scene? Yeah, I think people will get that. Um, I think that I, I'm one of the people that you probably hate. I think this whole season has been atrocious and I'm kind of offended. Everything after episode two, I've hated. I liked where they went with the season. They just needed 12 episodes to do it. I can, Except for the Jamie character arc that one i'll never forgive them for uh it didn't completely satisfy me but overall i quite enjoyed it my biggest issue with this season last season as well was the breakneck speed of events with so many high stakes events i'm still disappointed the writers didn't understand the importance of giving characters and the audience some time to process everything that happened also after a few downplayed seasons for Tyrion, man i thought he really knocked it out of the park this season all the actors all did phenomenally yeah 100 percent. and they rushed things too there were so many like character deaths that just you almost forget about and felt meaningless now because the whole thing with Tyrion and his one buddy that that felt like it almost never happened when if they had more time that could have been a really interesting two to three episode story arc to see how he truly responded to what happened there uh we are going to there was one more question from uh stacklow 24 but there was the mantho nugent hopkin question so we're going to wrap up this week's episode thank you guys so much uh for your patience i know this was a delayed episode we are going to see you later this week uh listen to the outro because she tells you where you can find news schedule things like that and uh, she saves me some time uh but most of all i want to thank all of our listeners all of our patreon supporters our name level sponsors once they load on this list in front of me sky carcass luke johnson arjun shanker Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Alant, Ryan Lewis, 
Hannah Lee. Thank you all so much, and we will see you later this week. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.